Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Louis Friedberg. John Fenstewald won't be joining us this week. We decided to spend this week's podcast talking with Carl Cohn, who is currently Executive Director of the California Collaborative for Educational Excellence. It's a small state agency with a really big job to provide support to school districts around the state to improve student outcomes. Carl will be stepping down from his post at the end of August. He has been part of the California education landscape for a half century, often in leadership roles. And we got him on the line to talk about his plans and his thoughts on some of the major challenges facing the state of California. Welcome, Carl. Thank you, Louis. Delighted to be with you. Carl is uh, one of the most experienced educators in California, former school counselor. He rose to be superintendent of the Long Beach Unified School District, then was superintendent in San Diego, San Diego Unified, and later was appointed to the State Board of Education. And most recently, as I think many of you who are listening are aware, has been executive director of the California Collaborative for Educational Excellence. So just tell us a little bit about why you decided that this was time to step down from your post. I've been at this for 50 years. So the events of 1968 compelled me to leave studying for the priesthood and to embrace public education. So as I think about it, it's probably time for us septuagenarians to move off the stage and let some younger people have at this. The challenges are huge in terms of trying to rescue historically underserved kids. And I think there are younger people coming up probably with better ideas and perhaps more enthusiasm for getting involved in this. And uh, when you've been at it for 50 years, I think it's a good time uh, to call it a wrap and step off the stage. Are you really going to be retiring or what's your thinking? I have a book project that I want to do sort of part memoir and also some leadership lessons learned. And I've been invited by George Washington University to give a series of lectures that would frame the outline for the book. So that's sort of the main project that I'll be taking up come September. Okay, I wanted to ask you, you are one of the few people who had incredible amount of experience in the schools, working with kids, uh, superintendent, and then also we've been involved in a number of organizations, foundations, and so on nationally. And then you served on the State Board of Education for quite a few years. I'm wondering if you could just reflect on your experience on the board. Was there anything that you learned that perhaps you didn't expect that you would learn from your tenure there? Sure. I've always been a fan of brief school board meetings. And so adjusting to two days of meetings was quite an accomplishment for me. I had no idea of how much regulation there is with regard to schools in California. And as I go away, I I don't know how to fix that, but um, 
I was amazed at the amount of time that we spent on all of these regulatory aspects of schooling that as a superintendent for more than a dozen years, I didn't pay a lot of attention to. I don't ever recall sitting there in Long Beach or San Diego at a superintendent's cabinet meeting asking the question, what do the state regulations say about this? And so from my point of view, there's an awful lot that's regulatory about that. Having said that, I think the larger reform initiative, LCFF LCAP, That's the local control funding formula and the local control and accountability plan that every school district is required to draw up. Right. After the Bush-Obama, no child left behind, race to the top reforms, I think California actually got it right. Focusing on those kids who are poor, learning English and in foster care, and the extra amount of money that schools and districts need to be successful. So I enjoyed my time on the state board where we were focused on all those aspects of getting these new reform measures in place. I also felt that it was extraordinary the amount of time that we also spent on charter schools. One of the things we do in working with urban school boards is we do a time tracker exercise where you actually show them how much time they're spending on various aspects of the policy agenda. And one of the things on the state board that I found somewhat troubling was the fact that we spent an awful lot of time on charter schools, which might give the suggestion that there were a larger amount of students in charter schools than is the reality. The best estimates are that there might be 10% of the state's school children in charter schools. The state board often spent a lot of time dealing with that. I wanted to ask you about one of the tensions. Again, just uh, your quick thoughts on this while you were on the board and continuing that there are a lot of people in the state, advocacy groups and others who feel that the state should be more prescriptive about how schools are spending the funds that they are getting under the local control funding formula. Do you think that is a valid position? And how does this tie in with the whole move to local control? I think it's a a valid concern, but I think it behooves the local school district to come up with transparent measures that actually get at that, as opposed to let's load up more prescriptive things on the LCAP process. So there was a time when chief business and financial officers, their job was to hide money. So that when the superintendent came along and said, I'm going to have this great third grade summer reading initiative and I need $3 million to do it, the chief business and financial officer said, sure, boss, here's, here's the money to do that. That's the past. I think what LCFF LCAP requires are new levels of transparency, but it should be at the local level. 
I really like the fact that the state is going to invest under the governor's latest budget $13 million in community engagement strategies. And I think that will be helpful in terms of our going forward and teaching the larger public about how this should work at the local level. I do think increased transparency with regard to how the money is spent is incredibly important, but I also think that loading up more bureaucratic and compliance procedures on the LCAP is not a good idea. One of the things that the state has been trying to emphasize in the last few years, and the state board as well, is to downplay the role of tests, testing, I think, in general, but also in how schools and districts are, are evaluated. And this is a thing that's so deeply rooted in American culture, this testing, I'd say, obsession. How do you think California is doing on that front? And do you have hope that this might actually translate into real changes? I'm very hopeful. As you may know, I actually served on the 1999 School Accountability Advisory Council that came up with the API. That's the Academic Performance Index, right, which was based entirely on test scores to evaluate schools. Right. So it was our hope in 1999 that we would soon pivot toward multiple measures of accountability And then long came George W. Bush and No Child Left Behind, and this national obsession with tests grew to the exponential power. Again, I think the state has it right in terms of looking at multiple measures. As I've worked with parents over the years, I think student achievement is important, ways to measure it is important, but I also think parents value a whole host of things with regard to schools when they make their choices, and I think ultimately that is the difference. So I think the state has struck the right balance between testing and other measures of accountability. One of the things you'll see on my resume is service on the National Assessment Governing Board, That's the National Assessment of Educational Progress, sometimes known as the nation's report card. Right, NAEP, what we call NAEP. And then nine years, including three as chair of the ACT in Iowa City. So I've had a firsthand look at how this sausage called testing is actually made. And um, this is man-made stuff. It's not you know, given down on Mount Sinai on stone tablets. It's subject to air and a whole host of things. So the notion that we should constantly worship at the shrine of testing, from my point of view, doesn't make sense. talking with Carl Cohn, who is Executive Director of the California Collaborative for Educational Excellence. He'll be stepping down from his post at the end of August, and we thought we'd get him on the line to get his thoughts on the current landscape and where California is going. Carl, you mentioned George W. Bush. You didn't mention uh, President Obama. Surprisingly, California had quite a lot of conflicts 
with the Obama administration, actually around this whole testing issue. But uh, now we have the Trump administration. I'm wondering whether you are concerned about what impact the Trump administration and his current Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos, might have on education in California. Or are we somewhat protected by the fact that education is at root a local responsibility? I think we are, to a certain degree, protected. I do think, while I tremendously admire President Obama for a lot of things, I don't think he got it right with regard to race to the top. I think he, in some ways, doubled down on additional testing. I don't know what to make of uh, Betsy DeVos's tenure so far. I believe the person who wanted to fight uh, with California on approval of ESSA was actually a gentleman who was a holdover from the Obama administration. Clearly, DeVos and Trump are advocates of choice, but I do think there's a fundamental problem with abandoning the notion of public schools as a public good. And one of the things that I often note, last week I was up in what we call the Tri-Valley, which is part of the Bay Area, Pleasanton, Dublin, Livermore, places like that, all with high-performing public school systems. And I noted, as I talked with people, that when you're affluent, you expect your public schools to do a good job of educating your kids. And I've always been deeply troubled by the notion that um, this comes down to economics. When I arrived in San Diego in 2005 as the new superintendent, La Jolla was flirting with going charter. Everybody in San Diego went to La Jolla and said, if you were to leave the school district, it would be a disaster of unspeakable proportions, while saying to poor communities of color in San Diego, south of Interstate 8, you know what, in order for you to get what you need for your child, you may have to go charter. To me, that's the fundamental definition of a dual school system, which I would argue Brown versus the Board of Education resolved for all time that that's completely unconstitutional. As we think about the Trump-DeVos administration, if they come down on the side of choice and public schools as some sort of a private good where profiteers are supposed to make money, I think California will be the state that will fight them hopefully tooth and nail on that issue. The achievement gap, I mean, this is something that California and the nation have been grappling with. And I think with all these reforms in play, people are impatient to see this gap narrow or hopefully even close. Is this something that concerns you? It does, and I do think you have to get the sense of urgency. You have to get that in the game, also with the realism about the growing inequities in our society. 
One of my Spencer Foundation board colleagues is a man named Dick Murnane of Harvard, and he's edited a book called Wither Opportunity. And Wither Opportunity is, is a large volume that talks about all the public policy changes in the past three decades that housing and other things that have increased poverty, thereby making the task of the schools more difficult in terms of gap closing. The gap was actually starting to close in the late 1970s, but a whole bunch of public policies that have exacerbated income inequality have made that more difficult. Now, I know there are a lot of people who don't want to hear that, but that's the truth and that's the reality. I would argue that we need patience. I look at my experience in Long Beach where the big gains in student achievement kicked in years five through 10 of my time there. And I'm forever grateful to the school board who could have said, you know what, it's been four years, Carl Cohn's a nice, charming guy, but we need to start looking for a new leader. They didn't. We approached it from the point of view of we need to put in place those supports that will first and foremost help poor children do better. That's what we did. The gaps started to close. We ended up winning the Broad Prize, and we did... All of that, I like sometimes to remind audiences that both Garden Grove and Long Beach won the Broad Prize without ever doing an LCAP. So a powerful focus on what kids need, getting them the right kind of supports in place will actually move the needle on student achievement and begin to close the gap. Carl, before I let you go, I do have to ask you about the California Collaborative for Educational Excellence. This tiny agency had had and has a mammoth task, which is to provide support to school districts and really try to change the paradigm of school reform, which existed under No Child Left Behind, which was a very top-down kind of punishment-oriented system. How much did you feel you accomplished under your tenure? School districts in California understand that there is a new philosophy, and that new philosophy starts with folks at the local level. One of the things that's going on right now, a team of people from the Palo Verde School District in Blythe, out on the California-Arizona border, a school district that for two decades had been the lowest performing in Riverside County, This week, they're at the University of Michigan Teaching Works Institute for the Elementary Math Lab, where they will learn how to move the needle on better math teaching and how to get better results. That kind of high-quality professional development being brought to an isolated community on the California-Arizona border is incredibly important. So I think we have a lot to be proud of. The professional learning networks that focus on improvement science, we're engaging people in the work of how you get better in a systematic, organized way. So I'm feeling very positive about the initial three-year launch of the collaborative as I go out the door. 
And what would you say is the one thing or the one big challenge that faces this collaborative, and I guess California by extension, as you leave your position? The idea of the collaborative was to remain small, and, and I suspect that at some point in the future, as the dashboard identifies more places that need help, we have to get them the right kind of help, whether it's through an improved county office that is getting them what they need or the collaborative. We can't just say, you know, we recognize the need for help, but we as a state can't get you what you need. So I think there is going to be a resource challenge at some point to make sure that we get the right kind of help to all those places that need it. And of course, if Governor Brown is correct, there's a recession around the corner. That's going to hurt school districts. There, there is. Some have argued that there is a pattern to Carl Cohn's career that typically the money gets funny when Carl Cohn leaves K-12. So I'm hoping that that won't be the case in this instance. But um, yes, we all know that recessions are a possibility. Okay, well, we'll try not to hold you responsible for the recession. <laughs> very, very good. <laughs> <laughs> We've been talking with Carl Cohn, Executive Director of the California Collaborative for Educational Excellence. Actually, one of the things many of you listening might not know about is that Carl was on the EdSource board for several years, and one of his lesser-known contributions has been his hand in transforming EdSource into the organization it is today. So thank you, Carl. And that just about wraps it up for this week in California education. I'm Lewis Friedberg. Thanks to our sponsor, the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation. Our producer is Shuka Kalantari. Our music is from Nate Schwartz Jazz Orchestra. You can find us on iTunes and at edsource.org slash podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.